Welcome to the American Hunting Podcast. Uh, we've got kind of a special show today, especially for some of our, uh, I don't know, some of the members, I would say down south, but not really. They're all over. Uh, we got a lot of uh, waterfowl hunters out east, specifically in Maryland, up in Delaware and those kind of places. So uh, we are proud today to have Chad Belding, who's the host of The Fowl Life, um, Dead Dog Walking, and more recently, his own podcast, the uh, This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. Uh, we're just thrilled to have you all on the American Hunting Podcast today. Chad, welcome, bud. Thank you guys very much. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. No, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure. Like I said, we uh, we get heavy in whitetails. We, we talk about it. I know you know that the, that the whitetail kind of drives the industry, but um, frankly, we've kind of gotten into the waterfowl thing. When I say I've been, I'm into it, I've I bought like two dozen decoys, which seems like it's filling up my garage. Uh, I don't have a trailer that I'm pulling behind me or anything like that. So, uh, no, it's a, it's a real pleasure. Before we get started, uh, my, my buddy here, Joel, is a huge MMA fan. We were actually on your Instagram a couple of days ago. Yep. And, of course, I recognize Uri Faber, but yep. I went into to Joel's office and I was like, hey, is he Chad goes, Mendez he goes, and Clay heard, Guida, are they MMA guys? He goes, you heard of Clay Guida? I'm like, hell yeah. So, that was uh, it, it's funny. I just like to see when my two worlds collide like that. And I, I enjoyed watching some of the stuff you guys were doing on live. So, Yeah, they uh, – the. I've, I've always thought since I started Banded back in uh, 2008, they call them the, the theme that we kind of built the brand on and, and what we developed with the Foul Life and several of our other brands was hunting is the common denominator that um, brings all these different lives together. And all these different walks of life can come together from, you know, the military to a heart surgeon to a janitor to a pilot to an MMA fighter, an actor, a, a professional athlete. A, we get to hunt with a lot of country singers out of Nashville and other parts of the country. So, it, first of all, it's very humbling to get to, you know, to swap stories with those guys and hang out at a campfire and drink a cold beer and then get in the woods with them or in the marsh or in the hills, whatever we might be chasing that weekend or that week. And it's just the, you know, hunting duck camp, turkey camp, deer camp. It's the common denominator that brings all these different lives of different walks of life together. So, you know, mixing it up with Chad Mendez, Money Mendez, who's had some incredible fights in the <laughs> UFC with Aldo and McGregor, and, and you can go on. Frankie Edgar, he's had some battles. He's one of the most talented fighters, that, in my opinion, that i ever seen grace the octagon, and a lot of people have said that. Clay, the carpenter Guida, he's a yep. big-time fisherman. He's getting into hunting right now. And and then you got Uriah Faber, who the California kid, who at 40s, you know, he's planning his comeback fight in the next two weeks in Sacramento yeah. and he loves to get out on the water and do a bunch of fishing and he's actually getting ready to go on a, a pig hunt after his upcoming fight so again it's just one of those things to where they they, they kind of look up to us for what we do and they, they're kind of not envious of what we do they'd like to be in the woods or on the water a lot more and, and, and a lot of times when you're you know you see the lifestyle of a country musician or a professional athlete or somebody you you might want to trade shoes with them so hunting brings us all together it lets us pay homage to the military <clears throat> it provides therapy for guys coming back from overseas or in theater that are protecting our freedoms and, and, and fighting for our country so hunting hunting to me it wraps all of that into one and when when you're in duck camp or any kind of hunting camp or fishing camp you get to experience things that <clears throat> excuse me that you you probably never would on a golf course or or at right. the beach hunting just opens those doors for to get to know somebody on a different level and again we're humbled to get to do so you know i spent uh i spent a lot of time in south dakota we own some property out there and i'm more familiar with pheasant camp than anything else i'm never you know sean and i were just talking about it last week i've never really been a part of a deer camp or anything like that but getting together with you know my uncles and my cousins and some of our friends and 
you know, traveling out and living in the middle of Redfield, South Dakota for a handful of days in, in pheasant camp, man, we look forward to it. And uh, so I, I get it. And you talk about, the, I've never heard anyone kind of word the walks of life and how, you know, this sort of lifestyle can bring them together. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I truly believe that. I think that, I don't know, it's one of those things where I take it really personal to get to even be in camp and um, our brands have grown to where we've attracted attention of a lot of different individuals that um, <clears throat> the bottom line is, is that mother nature is very humbling and it takes the celebrity out of everybody and it, it puts you there in the middle of the woods watching mallard ducks do what they do and um, it, it kind of just opens your eyes at the world and, and how special it is and how how blessed we are and fortunate and privileged we are to get to be an American hunter and a lot of countries you don't get that and and it's not we, we can't feel entitlement to it we've never we've always talked and banded about we're not entitled to do this we're blessed and to get to do it with all these different walks of life it makes it all the much better that's what I love about duck hunting is when you're turkey hunting your backs up against a tree you got to be quiet they got unbelievable vision you can't move around a lot deer hunting you're up in a tree stand or in a box blind or in a ground blind you got your bow your muzzle loader your rifle whatever your 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 source of uh, harvest is and you got to be quiet you got to watch your scent y'all go to bed early you guys wash your clothes and weird soaps and, <laughs> and watch all your scents and you take urine and put it all over trees to mask your scent and a duck line we're cooking eggs and bacon and sausage and biscuits and gravy and we're talking smack and chewing copenhagen or or sunflower seeds and and the dogs there and it's wet and you got the coffee pot going and a lot of joking and ribbon and, and, and messing around with your buddies and a lot of camaraderie and it's just a, it's a socialization a social drill in the duck blind where i'm not saying that turkey camp and duck camp can't supply that when you're back at camp but during the entire hunt in the duck blind you get to uh you, you get to you know get to know people on a different level whereas opposed to you know in a deer stand you're on your iphone a bunch waiting for a deer to come under your bow to to you know snort wheeze or try to stop them a little bit and they you know every kind of hunting is special and and to me waterfowl hunting just provides that little bit of extra social socialization that allows you to get to know somebody pretty good well you know the i'll be honest with you i was asked to go waterfowl hunting probably five or six years ago and it was i don't know first or second week in november and i was like well hell no I'm, i mean no i'm not about to take a morning of mine and go sit on the water or over a field and I remember doing that clearly, but then three years ago, another guy asked me, and I was like, sure, I'll come. And I felt guilty going home that day. It was almost like I was cheating on my, my wife or my girlfriend. I was like, uh, I like that more than I should have because I didn't have to take a shower because I didn't have to be quiet. He was smoking a cigar the whole time he was, we were hunting. And so, and then just looking at the sky, uh, I got everything I've ever wanted in deer hunting and then some that morning, and I got to shoot my gun about 20 times. Yep. Like that's a good more that was fun and that's what really kind of started me along the down the path of okay I think I like this and I you know and like a lot of guys on, in our industry or whatever I can't just try it you know you got to dive head first into it right um, but yeah I've uh, I've looked forward to it um, Chad do you, do you is waterfowl hunting growing in the, in the country it may, am I just now aware of it so much that I notice it more or or do the numbers bear out that no it's on the move. Um, <clears throat> I think in certain parts of the country, it's got a, a pretty substantial growth rate. I think um, states like Col California, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, they continue to to um, grow along the Mississippi Flyway, the Central Flyway. As a whole, you know, the demographic of duck hunting is probably smallest, one of the smallest forms of hunting. You know, turkey hunting, they say, is around 4.5 million. Deer hunting, 13 to 15 million. You hear a couple different numbers thrown out there. Predator hunting, 3.5 million. And then you got duck hunting that's like 2.2 to 2.5 million. 
Um, they kind of base that on the, the number of duck stamps that are sold annually across the country on the federal level. A lot of those could be collectors as well. So, I mean, we're dealing with a, a smaller um, demographic, a smaller customer base per se, or a, 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 a I, not really a fan base, but just the people that are engaged or interactive in duck hunting. And I, I think that it, it has the potential to grow because, you know, getting the word out there, educating people on it, on how much fun it is, how much socializing there is, and how many, you know, how active and in, engaged you are during it with the calling, the vocalizations, the vocabulary, the shooting, the dog work, and, and, and again, the camp life is there too. But the the thing about duck hunting is that it is very, very expensive in a lot of different ways. The Like you said, if you're going to go into this deal and, and like what you guys offer through your services, a lease can cost a lot of money in different parts of the country. Leases can get very expensive, some of them for 105 days, some are for 60 days, some are day leases, whatever it might be. There's a lot of investigation to do there before somebody signs on the dotted line, which is a great service that you guys provide. And then your arsenal, your, your dog can have thousands of dollars and thousands of hours wrapped up in training your boat, your motor, your blind, your UTV, ATV, your gun, your ammo. Um, the, everything that goes into waterfowl hunting, your decoy spreads have to be, you know, you keep growing them. You got a floating duck spread, a floating goose spread a dry land duck spread dry land goose spread you got snow geese speckle <laughs> belly geese canada geese you got lessers and big ones and there's just so much that goes into it and the more you get into it and the more it gets in your blood the more money you're spending and i don't know if that kind of uh, um throws people off because they don't want to make that financial commitment and the other thing is, is that there's a lot of laws and regulations. You got all the identification process of what ducks you can shoot, um, what you can't shoot, how many of each species you can shoot, what's a hen, what's a drake, how do you identify them by their wing beats, their pattern of flying, their colors, their, their texture, their feather, their anatomy, all of the things that go into being able to do it. Now you got to deal with shooting hours and when you can shoot and when you can't and, 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 and how do you have to hold your ducks once you have them in your possession if a game warden does come into your blind and every each hunter has to have their own individual pile and I think that there's just a lot that goes into it and I, some of it might be intimidating some of it might scare people away I really don't know why the numbers aren't where they're at um, with, with at least turkey hunting where you start to get up to four to five million people that participate in it and turkey hunting is like a religion in the south and southeast but so is duck hunting and I think that a lot of it has to do with the, the those two those two variables one the cost and two the the amount of um, you know know-how and, and dedication I'm not saying that you don't have to have that with deer but when you're dealing with a ton of different species and you got to know exactly what you can shoot and and um and what you can't then it, it's it, it makes it kind of difficult in some instances yeah it really does i mean it makes it i mean just what you just laid out for me i started to think yeah geez i guess i do think about all that but in particular when there's different species flying and landing in front of us that's the thing that I, i'm not there yet i'm not there to to the point i mean i know mallards obviously but um yeah that they, yeah there's a lot to take in there for sure so hey i got um you do uh, the first time we saw you was a trade show here in Indianapolis a couple of years ago. From a marketing standpoint, do you do a lot of trade shows? Do you still go to trade shows? Um, I, I I I did a lot more. I to be honest with you, I I, I I'm pretty particular about the speaking engagements or the seminars things I do. I'm we're getting into some live podcasting here pretty quick with a couple of our different partners in different parts of the country, different regions, but. 
Um, I have an eight-year-old daughter. I don't, I don't talk about her a lot. I don't bring her into the public eye very much, but she's at that age now to where it's hard to be away. So sure. um, back in the day when we first started Banded in the foul life, it was every, every Wednesday you'd leave, and then Thursday you would start a show, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday after setup, you're promoting the brands, and, and you're talking to consumers, or you're at a trade show like mm-hmm. ATA or SHOT Show or the NWTF convention as far as a consumer show goes in Nashville. or Cabela's used to have a lot of them, all the waterfowl weekends. Bass Pro did. Roger still has a very successful one in Kansas City, Max Prairie Wings and Stuttgart. Um, we bounce around to a couple of them, you know, but nothing like it used to be when we were really getting the brands off the ground. And I think you have to do that. If you're trying to start a national brand and you're trying to get the word out and create a consistency in marketing and a consistency in messaging, you can't do it from Reno, Nevada. We have offices in Reno, Nevada now, Memphis, Tennessee, Springdale, Arkansas. And we to build those brands, you had to get out there and get the word out to, to different parts of the country. You know, like you've seen us in Indianapolis there. That's a very successful show to where thousands of people walk it in a three-day time period you got the one up in harrisburg pennsylvania that's now ran by the nra that's like 10 or 12 days long and um it's a lot of dedication it's a lot of investment to get a booth there set up the booth man the booth get all the inventory there Um, we still do them we just um, fortunately we we've gotten to the point to where it's not just us that has to go out and and do the whole you know you know run the mill the entire year and and again we're very humbled by that and it took a lot you know we started banded in 2008 with the tv shows and and then banded really started getting its momentum in 2011 and now here we are almost you know eight nine ten years later and bandits become a pretty um it's 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 an honor to say we we started it and and where it's gone and where we're planning on taking it and the foul life is getting ready to air season 11 starting on uh july 1st uh you know just in about one month from now and to have a tv show to run that long with the with the fan base and the the viewer base that we have I, I attribute a lot of it to what you're what you're talking about of those early days of going out and standing in front of live audiences and asking questions and and trying to you know not get on a soapbox and preach per se but get out there and just tell them a little bit about what what has helped us or made us successful in the field or what we've witnessed across the different flyways or Canada or wherever we might be chasing birds or or predators and um, I think that that's you know kind of like America's built around the melting pot theory or ideology um, I think that's that's very important important to somebody that wants to be successful in this field, whether it's in the field and being successful as a hunter, gatherer, conservationist, or fisher, or wanting to have that entrepreneurial spirit and, and, and learn how to build a brand and, and all of the different moving parts that go into that. And one of the main things that I attribute to the success of our brands is our network and our ability to deliver and our ability to develop friendships and partnerships with um, not just brands like Benelli or Federal or Mojo or Realtree, but with individuals that have helped us or opened doors for us. I think there's always a potential to open a door and you should never, um, you know, say no to, you got to say no sometimes, don't get me wrong, but um, getting out there and, and traveling nonstop when, when the brands were young and we were trying to nurture them and grow them through their adolescence phases. And, and now here we are 10 years into it and, and, um, we we don't have to travel as much so i know that's a long-winded answer but yeah that was the main reason we were non-stop on the road and we don't do it as much anymore we're very particular about the ones that we go and do but we do take a lot of pride in them we give it our all when we do get invited we're humbled to be invited on the podcast like this or go speak in front of an audience but it's just gotten to the point now to where i'm a little bit pickier on the ones i choose because my personal time with my family and you know getting on a boat and and and, and just being around the lake in the summertime is very important 
important to me now. And that's not to say that we're not dedicated to the brands and always focused on them. It's just as a business grows, we've, we, we can hire employees. We have a pro staff and ambassador program. And, and I was once there back in 2000 Mm -hmm. when I started pro staffing for Avery outdoors, I used to travel nonstop for them and taking photos of hunts and, and doing videos. And, And then I went on the road with ducks unlimited and DU water dog and zinc calls. And, and I was just, I was just a, a a nomad. I was rocking it as a gypsy hunter all over and trying to spread (laughs) the love. And, and then that turned into me getting opportunities. And, and once you get that foot in the door, you try to knock them down and, 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 and develop brands. So, <clears throat> again, it's, a, it's one of those things to where I don't think you can do it sitting in an office in Reno, Nevada. And I had to be out there beating the road down a little bit back in the, back in the beginning of the company. And, and now we're a little bit more picky. Man, I want to unpack something you were talking about with the, the evolution of your brand. When, when you were first starting out and you said you were putting the boots on the ground, the miles in and, and trying to build it to where you're at now, what are the are, are the challenges for br- maintaining the brand and continuing to grow? Are they the same when you were just starting out or is it a whole sev- whole different set of challenges to try to to maintain and solidify what you've built over the last eight, nine years? Yeah, that's a pretty complex answer to a question like that. One, you know, the the quality control of our you know what our designers do and what our manufacturing has become now is on a completely different level as it was day one so um, the growing pains and the retention rate of something like our waiters back in the day or not being able to edit the tv show like we do today because we could barely even record audio back when we first started filming on our first trip to saskatchewan in 2009 um actually fall of 2008 we went to air in 2009 so the ability to evolve and and learn and be a sponge and be coachable and try to learn from people that were once mentors that now might be competition um I think that some of the things that I see, you know, as our brands do get bigger is, is it's, it's hard not to pay attention to your competition because it's so vivid and it's so out there and it's so in your face with the ability to turn on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or open a magazine and, and see all the competition out there. It's, it's all about staying in your lane, staying focused, staying, you know, um, 100% on track and keeping your team on track and keeping the momentum building and trying to have good leadership and good messaging and follow through on that. And, and, and when you were first starting, you're just so scatterbrained because you're like, well, we want to do this product. We got to do that product, but we got to try this. And you want to be original. You don't want to be a me too company and copy that. And yeah. um, we, we've always tried to be innovative. We've always tried <clears throat> um, to bring a different flavor to the game as far as our product, our TV production, our podcasts go. And um, we've done that. We, we, we were fortunate enough to purchase Avery and Avery Sporting Dog and Green Headgear Decoys in August of 2015 and, and, and put it under the Bandit Holdings umbrella. And it was humbling to get to do that because that was one of the companies myself Story. personally and several of us involved in Bandit cut our teeth with back in the late 90s and the early 2000s. And to see it come full circle like that. Um, the reason I tell you that is because when we did get to purchase the Avery and those brands, it's sister brands, um, we had to reinvent it kind of because it was kind of not in a downhill spiral, but it definitely wasn't where it was back when it was at its heyday when Greenhead Gear first started and they, they you know, overtook the decoy market. And since then, there's been several very strong decoy companies that have come into effect that give <clears throat> Greenhead Gear a run for their money back then they would have. And today... <clears throat> Sorry, guys, they push us to to be better. So I think that um, to answer your question as honestly as I can is that I think 
we still try to keep that same core values of what we started the brands with, but we've gotten a lot better at things, but we also try to stay ahead of the curve. So we're trying to tell different stories. We're trying to be innovative with product. We're trying to be creative with our music, our audio capture, our digital ads, our, 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 our print ad campaigns, our commercials. Um, we're trying to, you know, create curiosity. We're trying to disrupt the market where there's a lot of competition. You start dealing with Sitka, who's got an unbelievable marketing team and budget to do so you got you got companies like avian x that have been bought by big conglomerates that have um uh, you know i don't know how much money they can afford to put into marketing but i guarantee it's more than we can afford and we keep that in mind but we don't let it keep us from staying true to what our beliefs were that that we we are a band of brothers we are banded the name is is significant with waterfowl hunters due to the banding initiative by the federal government but it's more than just a piece of metal on a leg band or a, or a duck's leg or a goose's leg. It's it's more of a brotherhood, you know. Like Michael Waddell is created with 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 Bone Collector with T Bone and Nick Munt, and I believe that Michael Waddell is the best by far, the best um, TV personality of all time in the industry. I know Shockey's good, and I know Nugent's got his fan base, but the way that 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 Michael Waddell does it is is very inspiring to us. So I think that, that, that being inspired and finding inspiration in things is what my job is now today is, is, is one of the leaders and, and trying to build the brands is to find inspiration in somebody like Waddell or find inspiration in a company like Sitka and not copy them, but not, but not down them either just because they're competition. So I know again that's long-winded, but in short form, I think it's 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 know that your competition's there. Know that we that we serve a purpose in the space, and um, try to keep developing credibility in that space. We have a lot of credibility in waterfowl, but we ventured off into turkey, and we got to develop credibility there. And if we go into deer, we got to develop credibility there. And now we're into fishing, and now we got to you know strive for that credibility to where it doesn't just look like hey, we have the ability to manufacture a shirt. We're going to put some different colors on it and call it a fishing shirt. No, we have to really go out and live that lifestyle and become ingrained in that culture and say, hey, banded belongs here because if you fish, you might duck hunt. If you turkey hunt, you might duck hunt. If you duck hunt, you might do this. So um, it's, it's just an uh, uh, engaging process daily to, to try to stay ahead of that curve and, and to stay in your lane as well. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, man. We're at a, we're at a point, uh, you know, with the AHLA where, you know, we're, we were the small guy a few years back. And the goal was, Let's disrupt this market. Let's do something different. Let's give people uh, a different option because it seems like they want it. And, you know, within the last year and a half, two years, we're starting to see competition do things that we thought was a good idea. And right. now it's like imitation is the best form of, form of flattery. But at the same time, you see you see competition doing that. And you recognize it and you kind of go, hey. We're we're onto some here. What's what new can we do now? How can we push the envelope? What what can how can we be creative in different ways to stay ahead of the curve? So I hear what you're saying. It really it's resonating resonating with me. I, I Chad, we've added some services here. You know, uh, over the last six months, and I think it's important. You kind of touched on it. Is that when we add a service, we don't just add a service because we can and throw it out there and hope it works. We have to perfect it first. We have to perfect the pro. First of all, we have to make sure our customers want it. If they want it, we need to perfect the process. We need to make sure it brings value to them. And then even as a, an association in general, like this podcast, this podcast doesn't make jack. But it's we're trying to bring value. We're just trying to show our members, our customers, that you know we are concerned with this lifestyle. We live this lifestyle, and, and we want to bring you the thoughts and the 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 guidance and, and just whatever of the Chad Beldings of the world. And you know that's I, I think you bring up a good point that 
when you do venture off, you got to perfect it before you just throw it out there because then you kind of get, I don't know, you, you kind of get called out yep. as a fraud. Really, you can. I yep. mean, you, just, you know, they're just trying to shotgun pro- approach on everything. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I've, <clears throat> I, mean, I would never bring up a company's name or a brand's name, but I've seen it done. I've seen, you know, brands try to, to, um, stay you know stay profitable or stay relative in the industry by you know just knocking products off all the way down to the packaging and i don't agree with it i i I don't like it but it's part of the game and it's always going to be part of the game and there's a lot of things that you got to deal with in being in 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 a a brand like we have in manufacturing you got to deal with the evolution of the customer base the amazons the online ordering the catalog ordering the you know the Bass Pros and and and, and Cabela's becoming one and mm-hmm. and then you know then you got all the mom and pop and independent dealers across the country and to to take on the responsibility of saying hey we're going to provide this product and we're going to you know have this much marketing behind it and we want people to go in there and, and and light your cash register up it's a big responsibility to take on you don't want that dealer to have those customers walking in saying hey this is wrong this is wrong this is torn out this is and we 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 try to perfect the perfect the product through rigorous hours of product testing in the field and, 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 and putting it through the rigmarole, you know, and, and we, we do that with a lot of our partners from Benelli shotguns to different ammo. We do product testing for a lot of them and we fly those flags and we do get paid to fly those flags, but we also with our own brands and the products that we work with and the brands we work with on the shows and in the podcast, we help them develop better product through hours of product testing and our knowledge and <clears throat> the, 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 the feedback that we can give them. So um, we, we don't look at it as, hey, here's just another product because we have the ability to make it. Here's a podcast because I have the ability to talk. No, I want to bring a different flavor to a podcast. I want to have engaging guests. I want to have very diversified guests. And I want to, I want to show people that, that the hunting culture is, is in a lot of different areas. And we might touch on fitness one day and a Traeger recipe the next day and a military, um, a military, th- uh, guest the next day. But all, the common denominator again is hunting. Everything that we, yeah. in, that we get to do from going to a Zach Brown concert to getting to go into Max Prairie Wings and be part of the fall fest is because of a mallard duck and our passion for that mallard duck and, and, and going and developing the banded brand and the quality of products, the quality of the TV show that we feel that is, it has a, a high quality standard that we hold to it. And now the podcast and our new duck call company jargon and, and a, and a bunch of the different things that we're involved in, um, we, we don't want to just be another me too. We want to do exactly what you said, perfect it, and then bring it out and let, and hopefully it, it, it might not, the podcast might not never become a million dollar, you know, entity of the organization, but it spreads that word. It gets people excited. It gets people curious and it gets people involved in what we're trying to do. And if they, if they want to live through you vicariously or, or sink their fingernails into you or ride along in that front seat of the truck and become part of it, then you might have a banded customer for life. You yep. might have a guy that, that trusts you guys to lease um, the rest of his hunting grounds or properties from your organization. And um, whether you're an outfitter or a guide or a manufacturer or a leasing program like yourselves, when you, when you take that stance or that responsibility on that, I am going to take another human being's money to provide them a service or a product, or I'm going to outfit them or take them on the quote unquote hunt of a lifetime, then you better have your act together and you better be able to serve them and say, Hey, mother nature does play a big role in it. But as far as our part is concerned, we're going to go above and beyond. And we're going to give you a good podcast. We're going to provide you with the best lease. We're going to provide you with protection and security and insurance or whatever it is that comes 
along with it. If we're a guide, we might go out there and we might not see a million ducks, but we're going to have a great a great opportunity to see them. We're going to have the best spot. We're going to scout for hours. We're going to have the best trained dog. Our boat motor is going to start on the first pool. We're, no, we're <laughs> going to be safe. We're going to be ethical. We're going to have our morals in, in line and we're going to provide an experience that's going to have you talking when you go back. We might only shoot them one day out of three. But again, it's that responsibility of taking that on. And it's not about just saying, oh, I'm a guide waking up one day and say, I'm going to start an outfitting company or a leasing company or a manufacturing company. It's it's not that easy. And, and a lot of people see it on TV or the places we get to hunt or the people we get to interact with or the locations we get to go, whatever it might be. There's a lot of backstory to that. And a lot of times people don't take the time to learn the backstory or the origins or pretty much the roots of a company, the story of a company, the culture of a company, the life blood of a company. And when they do that, they might have a little bit different perspective. One of the questions I get asked in seminars or online or instant messaging or direct messaging all the time is how do I become a professional hunter? And I'm like, um, how do you answer that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm a world champion. Duck, I'm a world champion duck caller. And I go, well, I know a lot of those guys, but yeah. the, you know, can you make a living being a champion archer? Can you make a living being, um, you know, shooting a 195 Boone and Crockett or a 195 Pope and young buck every year? No, it's, 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 it's different to go into the, to, to be a professional hunter or make a living in this game. Um, it takes all of the skills it does to become, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit and networking and, and, and being able to, to, develop momentum and get people excited about your vision and there there it, you, you could go on and on about it forever, but it's not about, I want a duck calling contest. I want to be a professional hunter. And I don't, I always want to be upfront and transparent with people about that is that, that this, it, it takes a lot of hours and a lot of ingenuity to get a brand, um, you know, evident to where people are talking about it. And, and that's when the momentum starts and, and what exactly what you guys are touching on is that you, you can't just, you, you, you can't just put it out there yep. and hope that it grows. Well, this podcast that you guys are working on takes hours and hours of your time, and and one day it'll it'll either go away or it'll turn into something that was worth starting it in the first place, and it, it just takes a lot of work. Yeah, we've I get asked quite a bit from my my son in law and his friends or whatever. They might say, uh, you know, well, how do you get in the industry? I want to be in the industry. How do you get to be? You know, I want to make a living hunting. I'm like, well, the first thing you do is learn Excel, okay? Yeah. Because 10 months out of the year, we're talking about spreadsheets and we're in meetings and we're talking about HR issues. Metrics and, and ROIs. Yeah, and exactly. So that's what I would tell you to do first is learn about being in business. And then, quite frankly, you could apply that to anything. Then hopefully, and it's, I think you've done this, and Joel gets tired of me saying this, but uh, then you just find out what your passion is. You know, if, you, if, if you're passionate about what you're doing every day, if you're passionate for your paycheck is your passion, then you don't work a day in your life. And I mean, I've, we've all heard that said, but it's it's so true. Yeah. You know, I wish that for everybody. I, w I would ask you, Chad, are, are you now you're several years into this. You've been very successful. Is it fun every day? You wake up every day and like, unbelievable, <clears throat> I still get to do this. Or the bigger you get, does it become more like a job? Um, I love it every day. I mean, I'm 44 years old now and I, we started banded, like I said, in 2008, I started working in the industry in 2000, <clears throat> excuse me guys. At the time I was, a, you know, I owned a portable toilet company with two partners and I, I, I started pumping toilets and I started putting toilets on job sites and staking them down for the wind. And I started building tow behind trailers and putting them on road construction crews and special events like Burning Man out here in Nevada. And I, I started learning at an early age about how important networking was and being able to walk into a superintendent or a project manager's office and, and being able to look him in the eyes and say, hey, I want you to use my toilets. And he'd say, why? And I'd say, this is why. And then if you get that opportunity, you crush it and you yeah. take it to the next level. And then it becomes a no brainer for him 
to put your toilets on his job. And then he tells the other project managers and superintendents. And then the other guys in the other company start seeing your toilets out there more and more. And they're like, whoa, there's some credibility. What's going on with this company? Who are these guys? You create that curiosity. So I started learning at a local level. And now that it's on a national level, I'm even excited about it more and more every day. I love to be in the duck blind every day. I love hunting season. I love the off season. I love waking up and looking in the new wildfowl magazine and seeing our new print ads and our two page ads for our duck call company and upcoming episodes that are getting ready to launch and I love the innovation behind our product and getting boxes from from the factories and prototypes and, and, and putting them through the ringer and making sure that they're what we want and and working with guys with our sponsors and upcoming initiatives whether it's in marketing or sweepstakes or social media and or this new pod this live podcast we're getting ready to launch across the country and there's just so many moving parts it's hard not to be excited but again you can get wrapped up in too much and that's what I tend to do sometimes is that I, I, I say yes too much and I'm, I'm, I'm so excited and so gung-ho about it to where sometimes I got to pump the brakes. My good buddy at Federal, Federal Black Cloud, Brian Kelvington, taught me this like seven years ago. He's like, Belding, you need to pump the brakes because I'm always go, 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 go. And then um, I gotta st- I, I, I learning, I'm learning every day to enjoy the ride and enjoy the story and enjoy the experience and, and, you know, getting the opportunity to be in, uh, you know, first of all, I don't know if it's God given. I don't know if it's genetics. I don't know how you get the entrepreneurial spirit. I know you can go to business school and I know you can get a four year degree and a doctorate and a PhD or whatever it is in business, business management, business communication. You can go into finance. You can become an accountant. You can go all the way to CFO. You might be a CEO one day. Um, there's a lot of different parts in business, but having the entrepreneurial spirit to be able to see something, envision it, launch it, nurture it, grow it and, and maintain it and, and keep evolving it. That's a, I think it's a talent and I'm not saying that I'm the best at it. I'm nowhere near that, but I'm very humbled to say that I feel that I have a little bit, at least a little bit of the American entrepreneurial experience. And when this started, it all started by one duck hunting trip to where after the trip was done with this certain production crew, I was contacted by the owner of the production company in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he said, we're interested in doing a show around you and your life and your personality. Would you be interested? And I'm like, well, I'm a toilet pumper that likes to hunt ducks, but heck <laughs> right. yes, let's yeah, try this. And one thing leads to the next and we start growing this and talking to potential sponsors and going to SHOT Show and coming up with all these different ideas and be trying to be creative and innovative and at the very end, he calls me and says, my mom just got diagnosed with this. We need to put her in the Mayo Clinic. I am so sorry I can't do this. And I said, I'm very sorry to hear this. Do you mind if I try it on my own? And he said, please do and keep me updated. And I hung up the phone in my toilet office. I looked to my left and I got a big pedestal mount that has nine green-headed mallard ducks coming through real Arkansas timber. The trees are actually from the state of Arkansas on a pedestal with this false water and a, and a no trespassing sign with all these BB holes in it. And all the nine ducks are banded. And there's a little plaque on the, on the mount that says, strike up the band that I named the mount. And I said, I'm going to try to name a company Banded. And I called my intellectual property attorney at the time, Brian Hardy, and I said, try this with the USPTO, the Patent and Trademark Office of America. And we got it. And I was like, we just got banded trademarked. And then we got the foul life trademarked. Then we got dead dog walking trademarked. And it just kept, we kept building that intellectual property. And then we started filming and we launched our own company. I didn't know, I didn't even know, how to, to this day, I don't know how to turn a camera on. <laughs> I don't know how to edit. I don't know how to record audio. I don't take, I don't take credit for any of it. It's all the behind the scenes guys that make our shows 
as strong as they are, our creativity, our design, or our branding, or our marketing. But it was that vision and seeing it and then just kept building it and not taking no for an answer, getting my foot in the door, knocking it down. And I think that that story, those roots and how humbled I am that here we are 10 years later and bandits and all these dealers and the foul life is this big and jargon has the potential to be this big. And we have Avery and Greenhead gear and all that. I mean, I can't think of a better life. I can't think of a, a cooler life than, first of all, to be a hunter and a gatherer. I don't think that there's a better life that you could ever pick or build than to be a provider, to wake up, live off the land, kill your meal, show your daughter and your son how to process it, butcher it, cook it, serve it, see the look on your wife and your friend's face as they eat that chucker bird or that duck or that pheasant or that mule deer or that white-tailed deer, whatever it is, that's a cool life. But then they be able to live that life and to make a livelihood off of it and to drive passion and story and to be able to share it with all of these different walks of life that have come together because of a mallard duck or a turkey or a deer, there's nothing cooler in the world. I don't care if you shoot scratch on a golf course every day or you're the best surfer in the world or the best surgeon in the world, you're probably going to hunt when you're done doing all that. So I don't think there's a cooler life in the world than living in the hunting industry, being a hunter, an American hunter, gatherer, and getting to talk to guys like you and then get to get off this phone and go out and go over an episode that we're getting ready to send to the, the network that's going to air nationally in its 11th season that people are going to get along to get in that truck and ride with us and, and, and be, be in the blind with us. And it's just, I just, I don't think it can get better. I'm humbled by it. And that's, that's why I have so much pride in talking about it. And, and I just love it. So yeah, the answer to your question again, long winded, but short form, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm more excited today at 44 for duck season to start and for the new line of banded product and our new decoys to come out than I've ever been in the history of the brands. Well, your passion's uh, undeniable. Yeah, it and, comes and it's fantastic because everybody wants to hear from somebody like you. Um, I have a couple questions for you, and, and let me paint a bit of a picture. Joel and I have a lease here in central Indiana. That we, we predominantly, I told you, have deer hunted on. Um, we have a pond. It's about an, an acre, maybe? Yeah, acre. It's an acre pond in the middle of this big field, crop field. Uh, should be corn this year, but because all this damn rain we've gotten, I don't think it's going to be, be beans again. The 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 wood ducks early season pile into this thing. Okay, every morning there'll be a hundred to hundred fifty wood ducks blow off of it when we're in our stands. Um, can, can how can we hunt those wood ducks without busting them up? And you know, I mean, I, again, this is you know, I've got the I've got the waterfowl expert on here. I'm going to ask you a couple questions here to just be you know out of selfishness. Is there a way to hunt ducks if they're already on the roost when we get there in the dark? Or is that like a deer in his bed and you just can't blow them out of there? Um, wood ducks are different. I mean, there's a couple different answers to that question too, but we'll stick with the wood duck. Um, if it's full of mallards in the morning and it's obviously that they're sleeping there, it's, it's kind of... Um, you can go in there and hunt them in the evening because they're probably going to start coming back in there after their afternoon feed. Right. And um, it just depends on what time. You know, ducks can be nocturnal. Ducks can see in the dark. They migrate in the dark a lot. Wood ducks are the same way. So the, it might be too late by the time they start coming back in there. You could walk in there early in the morning and jump shoot them off of there if you really want to jump shoot a duck just to, to eat a wood duck because they are very delicious to eat. Wood duck's one of the best. But... Um, I see it like this is that if you're just going to center and pinpoint and focus on those wood ducks, I, I would look at it as they're going to be an active duck. They're going to be active through the day. I don't know how many creeks or tree lines are around there. It sounds like there's probably a lot of timber around there with your deer stands. Yeah. If you're hunting deer in that area, you're just, I would, I would use spinning wing decoys and I would use lay down blinds along the bank. If you don't like the lay down variety, I would use a panel blind and create a false line of bushes where I go and get natural vegetation, natural 
natural tumbleweeds or branches off of trees and, and, and get a good panel blind. We make one with Avery Greenhead gear. There's several good ones on the market. Or you can construct a homemade one out of chicken wire and two by fours if you want. But I would blend it in and I would get it out there just like a box blind or a, a, a ground blind. You want it to be out there for a little bit and let them get used to it and, and, and swim around and fly in there still. But then the use of a mojo spinning wing decoy, they actually have one specifically for wood ducks. Um, that, that Wood ducks are very attracted to motion. They're very attracted to that flash like teal are. So um, that would be the way that I do it. My envision though for that place would be um, December, Indiana. It's cold. It starts to ice up. You guys got a generator out there with a, a Mallard Views Outdoor Ice Eater. You open up a hole. You got some full body goose decoys and full body Mallard decoys uh, up on the shoreline in the shallow parts of it. You got a floating rig out in those ripples that are being created by that ice eater. As long as you check your local regulations and know that you can hunt over an ice eater, some states you can, some <laughs> you can't. But that ice eater, that aerator is going to keep that water moving. It's going to keep it from icing it's going to keep those those ducks and the geese in the area because as long as there's food and not a ton of snow on the ground they'll stay in that area as long as they have somewhere to sleep as well so if you're not by a big river and they're going to use that pond to roost i'd would i'd keep it open in the colder months with an ice eater and then it becomes like a magnet to migrating or local geese and ducks and then i would you know obviously work on your concealment and your hide big time with with getting the wind at your back and having different locations you can set up around that pond and hide really good but those farm ponds those cow ponds they can become unbelievable in oklahoma even up in saskatchewan alberta manitoba ontario you get out in the middle of a wheat field in one of those ponds you can have a a stellar hunt and but you gotta hide you gotta you gotta you gotta make sure that your decoy rig is right if it's not a windy day you gotta have a jerk line you gotta create ripples you want that that water to look like chocolate milk because ducks are active even when they're sleeping they're kicking their feet they're stirring up the vegetation the sediments in that pond and you don't want it just to be like a, a sheet of cement or glass out there you got to have ripples you got to have movement you you got to be because from far away from the sky ducks are moving and they they're 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 attracted to that flash but once they get closer you got to be even more real you got to have ripples you got to have chocolate milk you got to have good sounding quality c- calling and and then you can get them in there to 15 20 yards to where they can't get out well there's a couple things in there that uh, there's some red we meat right that. there yeah, yeah we can sure. get into that um the mojos just kind of quickly when we set up a mojo we want the ducks to land behind the mojo or fly over it and land in front of it uh i mean mojos are they're they're a tool there's something to where it's a good question because a lot of people think that they're going to land exactly where you put it. And sometimes early season they will, but we try to maneuver and, 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 and really strategize with where we place our mojos and how the ducks are going to approach them. And, and, and we try to envision the hunt before the birds actually start to commit to the decoy spread. So the first thing I would say is that I would never put my mojos behind me because you don't, that creates an unsafe situation. In my opinion, if ducks are trying to get behind you and you're trying to call the shot depending on how your blind set up you got multiple hunters and you got these barrels waving around safety's being clicked off that's a no-no i try to keep them strategically on different levels out in front of me if i'm hunting with one i might you know change the level a couple times during the hunt it might be on a taller pool it might be lower it might be pushed all the way in if the ground's soft you know you got to take into account frozen ground and have the ability to drive a stake into the ground to get your mojo pull in there but if, if we're hunting with multiple 
mojos. We might have one out 30 yards. We might have one closer in at like 10 yards from the blind, one 30 yards from the blind, and then we'll spread them out within the decoy spread to create that motion um, and that, that, that get that curiosity flowing because mojos originally were introduced to the market to get birds attention from far away and bring them in tighter and to let the rest of your decoy in your apparatus and your arsenal, you know, take, take, put into play your calling your motion your ripples on the water or if it's dry land the, the realism of your decoy spread and, and obviously your hide so once you get them into where they're hearing the calling or seeing the jerk string and the decoys moving you you want to make sure that that your reel is is possible so those mojos don't have to be all the time right in the dead center of the kill hole is my point guys you can move okay. them to the edges of it you can move one you know 20, 30 yards before the decoy spread even starts because a lot of time those birds are going to hop in front of that bird because they want to get to that food source where the conglomerate of your decoys is. If if you got thir- three, four dozen decoys out in front of your blind with a bunch of feeder heads down, you know, emulating that feeding going on, those birds from the air know that. They might hop over that first decoy or that first mojo spinning wing to get to the ones right in the heart of the kill hole. So you just got to play with it. You can't be afraid to get up and adjust it during the hunt. The wind might switch on you. If it's a cloudy day, the mojo might not be as effective as a sunny day a lot of people think this is a ducky day man we're gonna smoke them it's low ceiling it's overcast it's spitting snow or hell i um some places that might work down louisiana sometimes in the in the delta or the the butte sink of of california but i want bluebird skies i want 15 to 18 mile an hour wind out of the north northeast i want the sun at my back and i i i I, ducks just act like ducks on a sunny day you can hide better it creates shadows you can it's it's amazing to see what they do and it clouds up and that sun gets covered up by a cloud they can see they just don't act right so there's a lot of things like you might go out and say man this is a ducky day and then not kill them and then you lose your confidence you just got to keep going you got to keep trying different things listening to podcasts instructional dvds or online on youtube or our show or different shows and just start becoming that melting pot and, and, and bringing all these theories in to create your own and then going out and applying it and just having that blank canvas and start throwing all those paints at it until you create a masterpiece and you look at your buddies and go man can you believe that i can't wait to come back tomorrow and so again it's it's one of those things to where mojos can help you but you have to be strategic with them chad i feel like i could the fire's lit now i want to go duck hunting but i feel like i could talk to you about this all day but uh look i know you're a busy guy and we try to keep these things at about 45 minutes or so and we're hitting that mark so i just want to say you know for what we're trying to do here and uh, I feel like the level we're at with our podcast, the fact that you said yes to this, because I, I, obviously you have a lot going on. Um, I am just extremely thankful and appreciative that you would take time out of your day to uh, to give us some knowledge and just just talk to us, man. I mean, it means yeah. a lot. It really this is does. special stuff, man. We appreciate it. Anytime, guys. And just uh, keep me posted on the success of it. Good luck to y'all, and uh, hopefully, uh, people will. Uh, catch on to i know you guys kick butt in the leasing service but hopefully now you get some waterfowl hunters uh asking you guys where they can go to get well, some we got, yes, yeah, we got we got two more but yeah listen we'll let you go brother listen you got friends in indiana now so if you need uh you need anything up here please you uh you, you remember yeah you give us a shout we can make it happen all right guys i appreciate it. good right. luck to y'all have a great hunting season this coming fall thank See you, you buddy be safe nice yeah uh undoubtedly Knows his stuff. I mean, you could just yeah. the the passion just comes through, man. Yeah, and and that's exactly. Uh, I don't know. I hope that's how we sound sometimes. 
that would be my goal. Was yeah, to, to, would would be to get to that level. So well, I I just I I'm thinking about him telling a story and you know myself included at times I I have big ideas a lot you know and all they are are ideas. There's no action put behind them all the time. He was literally pumping toilets and doing the sure. best that he could do and making moves while he had an opportunity in front of him. And then one thing led to another, led to another, led to another. But he was already that guy. He was already the same guy pumping toilets yeah. that he is now. Yeah. He just applied it to something he had a passion for. Yep. You know, and then, and, and, you know, congrats to that. He brought up a couple things that I'll hit on, and that is um, I, I think a day in a, in a duck blind or a morning in a duck blind with three or four buddies where you don't kill them is probably fastly becoming, to me, better than sitting in a, a deer Man. stand alone, we, you, we alone talk, all day. We've talked you know? about um, getting kids or, or new hunters into this. Sure. And one of your points was it's hard to take a kid and make them sit in the stand for silent for four hours. And yeah. it's just not fun to everybody all the time. But the way he paints a picture of what it's like in a duck blind, you know, cooking <laughs> eggs and drinking coffee. I've and, never cooked breakfast. And you know what I mean? But I'll try it. That, that is just naturally going to be more fun to someone who, who's never had any experience. Right. They're going to want to do that again. And your your point is, you know, what's the goal of a first date? You want to you wanna try to score a second date. A second date. And, you know, I just I feel like duck hunting is it can give a lot of people an opportunity to to maybe find a passion they didn't know they had. And I get it. There's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of technical know-how. Uh, there's a lot of money that goes into it. But you can start somewhere, I feel like. You and I have duck hunting. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. I, I knew we had camo. We had lay-down blinds. We had some shotguns and some decoys. And we went out and tried and we it. had birds. And it, yeah, we themselves. did. We did so. We, we tried different tactics. We didn't know if they were going to work or not. But, yeah. but it was fun. And it was different than... Right. Anything we've ever done. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one word takeaway from the entire podcast. You know what it might be? No. Kill hole. Kill hole. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. I like a kill hole. Yeah. I can't wait to create a kill hole. Some create a kill hole somewhere. So yeah, too good. All right, man. We are. Uh, I think that's it for us. Yep. Uh, we appreciate everybody listening. If you uh, would like to, please subscribe to the YouTube to uh, or to the the podcast on YouTube. Yep. Like us on Facebook. What else do I always say? Focus on Instagram. Tweet us on whatever. Hell, I don't know. You know what you're doing better than I do. Find us because we're coming. All right. Thanks, Take care. The American Hunting Podcast is brought to you by the American Hunting Lease Association. Everything you need to enjoy a safe, successful, and affordable hunting lease all in one place. Resources like the Secret to Hunting Private Land ebook and the Front Porch Kit, both free to download, to time tested, attorney approved, customizable lease agreements, and of course, the most affordable hunting lease liability insurance policy you will find. Protect your landowner, yourself, and every member of your hunt club with the AHLA's Complete Risk Management Package. The American Hunting Lease Association, better coverage, better service, all at a better price. The American Hunting Podcast is brought to you by HuntStand.com and the HuntStand app. Build detailed maps of your hunting areas, view and share your hunting area maps with their revolutionary online mapping technology, and use advanced tools that let you examine and understand your hunting area. Then print your high-quality, fully customizable map on several types of materials. Download the HuntStand app or print a map. Visit HuntStand.com. Start mapping now. Hey, man, the fact that you're still watching really inspires us, and we appreciate it. If you liked what you saw, if you liked the American Hunting Podcast, 
please subscribe below, uh, like our channel, find us on Facebook and Instagram and like us there as well, as much as we like you. Uh, we've also got some recommended videos and things for you to watch. So thanks again, take care and keep looking out for us because we're coming.